I lost connection with my technical designer. And like, it was scary. It was scary because I knew that there is like Russian troops were invading her village where she was living. And we lost just, we lost track of her. That's Ksenia Karpenko, a Ukrainian refugee living here in Catalonia. More from her very soon. Hello and welcome to Filling the Sink, a podcast from Catalan News. My name's Lorcan Doherty, and today we're talking about the situation one year on from the war. On the 24th of February 2022, Vladimir Putin ordered Russia's large-scale invasion of Ukraine. One year on, on top of the tragic loss of life and devastating destruction, the war has also led to the biggest refugee crisis this century, with over 8 million Ukrainians fleeing across Europe, in addition to more than 5 million people the UN estimates are internally displaced within Ukraine. On today's episode of Filling the Sink, we're going to hear the stories of some of those refugees, Ukrainians living in Catalonia, trying to make a new life for themselves. And we'll also hear from some Russian dissidents who were also forced to flee their country. Joining me today is Killian Shields. Hello, Killian. Hey, Lorcan. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm not too bad, thank you. <laughs> so... We're one year on, the Ukrainian community in Catalonia is marking the first year anniversary of, of the full-scale Russian invasion with protests uh, here in the centre of Barcelona, for example. And I suppose it takes us back to this time one year ago. Yes, yes, it does. Yeah, I was at the very first protest that we saw, uh, which took place in front of the Russian consulate building uh, in around the Pedralbes area of Barcelona. Actually, the very first thing that I saw upon arrival was actually a Russian flag from from demonstrators there. And I was a little bit worried about, oh, is this going to be a bit of a like an antagonistic sort of counter-protest? But it wasn't. It was actually Russians showing their solidarity with the Ukrainian people who had already gathered there to to just mourn the fact that their home country had been invaded overnight. People were telling me as soon as they saw the news in the morning, they just began to cry. They were thinking about the relatives that they still had over there. And just altogether, a lot of tears, a lot of shock, a lot of shock and sadness was the overriding emotions, definitely, of that first morning. Those first few days that there was a lot of protests, that the first weeks, they started chaotically, spontaneously, and then they became more and more organised. And I suppose that that's also what we've seen uh, maybe throughout the course of the year with the refugee crisis, which is what we're talking about today, you know, started very chaotically. People arriving and kind of not knowing where to go, what to do. Well, there was obviously a lot of support and help. But now, one year on, people are actually, you know, trying to build new lives. There's a lot of children in schools. There's people working, we're going to hear. That's it, um, yeah, exactly, exactly. A lot of people are deciding to basically settle down here now, whereas you see some ad- other attitudes that... People don't want to be here. It, it's totally natural. It's totally normal. They want to be in their home country. They don't want to permanently uproot their lives. They want to hold on to a hope that they'll return to their home country sometime. Exactly, exactly. We're going to hear now from Ksenia Karpenko. Ksenia is a fashion designer. She's got her own brand, Love by Ksenia. She studied at London College of Fashion. And she's one of the first refugees to come to Catalonia because she actually was in holiday in Tarragona at the time when war broke out. This is Ksenia Karpenko. Originally, I'm from Kiev, which is the capital of Ukraine. This is where my where my city is based, and my shops are based. And uh, we have arrived here on the 23rd of February, and we took the last plane, Kiev Barcelona. We just planned like a week trip to Tarragona. We have arrived here as tourists, and 
The very next day, we woke up to the news that the war has begun. So I'm saying that Catalonia has chosen us. But at first, when you're experiencing this kind of tragedies, you try to do something, you are very focused. We try to cope with this place by acting. How to file for a refugee status, what should we do, How, where we would place our kid. And no one, and obviously no one knew nothing because no one was ready for that. And it seemed like we were the first Ukrainians fleeing the war. No one here knew what the procedure is. Two months before the war started, we just opened uh, a new boutique in downtown Kiev, and it was all gaining momentum. And uh, I didn't know whether it's going to be still operating or not because everything was in chaos. My team was scattered around Ukraine and other European countries. It was all a mess. We were lost. I lost connection with my technical designer, and like it was scared. It was scary because. I knew that there is like Russian troops were invading her village where she was living, and we lost just we lost track of her. Uh, I really, I really, I really was thinking that we're gonna never see her again. And like as a small team, we are very close. Like we are colleagues and friends, and like we are very supportive. And that was that was harsh, I would say. But then uh, we learned that she's she survived. She spent like two weeks in the basement. I lost everything over there, but my fashion profession is still with me, right? I still have my taste. I still have my capacity. Let's see, let's see. And besides like just before the war started, we've ended like a brand new collection for the next season and the images were done. So okay, can you communicate it? So I started reaching out everyone on LinkedIn and expanding my network. And of course, the difficulty is to, to see what works here, because definitely Ukrainian market and Spanish market and European market is a completely, completely different market. And you, like, it feels like you have to start all over again. When the Russian troops were withdrawn from Kiev region, we were able to renew our production. Step by step, I started to import from Ukraine here and, and seeing how it works. So it was like a little messy, but people here helped us really hugely. I will forever, to my last breath, uh, grateful for Catalan people, how it all sorted out and how everyone was helping. And the school was also amazing. It seems like the teachers embraced the kids. Uh, he's so happy. He now speaks perfect Catalan. <laughs> and this is my... Like, you know, this is where I find my peace as well. For me as a mother, the kid, I'm bringing him in a very calm and peaceful society and seeing him happy, this is my top priority, of course. With work, you can always catch up, but with the kids, you can't catch up. If the time is lost, it is lost. Ksenia Karpenko, our thanks to her for speaking to us this week. Kelly, you can really hear in her voice as she's, you know, going through, playing in her mind the, the uncertainty of not hearing from a friend back home. And I just imagine that scenario pay, played out literally millions of times by the various refugees trying to contact people back home, you know. Exactly, yeah, no, it's absolutely heartbreaking. Kelly, tell us just how many refugees have come then in the course of the year. 
Yeah, so in Catalonia, over the course of the past year, we've seen around 36,000. Now, that counts all Ukrainian refugees who have come and who maybe have left. Many have, in fact. And the latest estimates from the Catalan government are now that around 21,500 are here at the moment. Over 72% of the refugees here are women. You know, the vast majority, obviously, women and children because uh, men in Ukraine aren't able to leave the country. So Catalan schools have welcomed 5,000 students that have come from Ukraine over the course of the last year. And in fact, Girona uh, in the north of Catalonia is the kind of area that has the most, uh, over 1,000, 1,068, followed by Tarragona and Barcelona. It's just kind of interesting that Barcelona is not the top of the list. It's obviously the biggest city and yeah. has the biggest population. It's it's typically top of most lists that we see in these kind of things. So it's kind of interesting to see it. Yeah. It's only third. A lot of refugees have come first to places where there was already a pre-existing Ukrainian community. And sometimes uh, that might be in, for example, Gisona, a small town in the west of Catalonia where uh, where there's large meat processing industry. Or, for example, which we are going to hear about uh, along the Costa Brava as well. Killian, as well as the support and help for the Ukrainians that have come to Catalonia, obviously there's also support for those that have remained behind. Yeah, absolutely. The Catalan government, for example, has spent around 1.7 million euro in aid. As well as that, the Catalan Cooperation Fund has sent over 740,000 euros to humanitarian projects over the course of the year to help out with the effects of the war. These efforts are mainly focused on care of vulnerable groups, such as obviously children and women who have been left behind there, as well as ethnic minorities. And a lot of that money is going to Ukraine and a lot of it going to border projects as well, just across the border in Poland as well. As well as that, we've also seen a lot of initiatives between the city of Barcelona, the council, twinning with the city of Kiev. We've seen Mayor Klitschko come over to Barcelona during La Marseille Festival. He was a guest of honour there at the city's biggest festival. And we've also seen Barcelona send and generators, emergency material, and even fire trucks over to Kiev as well. Well, we said that uh, a lot of Ukrainians have settled in areas where there already was a Ukrainian community here in Catalonia. One of them is Lloret de Mar, which is on the Costa Brava, 2,000 kilometres from Kiev. Lloret has registered 1,532 Ukrainian refugees, tripling the number of Ukrainian nationals living there. So it's now it's one of the largest Ukrainian communities in Catalonia. And just 70 kilometres north along the Costa Brava coast uh, from Lloret de Mar lies the small town of Lestardit. And there, the Hotel Flamingo has been accommodating Ukrainian refugees for the past year. Uh, The first arrivals came in March and there are currently 120 people living there, uh, spread over 60 of the hotel's 90 rooms. Now, the interesting thing is that uh, Ukrainians now make up more than half of the staff working at the hotel. And uh, the Catalan News Agency, our colleagues at ACN, spoke to three people who are living and working in the hotel. This is Anna Vikovinets, Tatiana Hulevets, and Olian Kol. The most uh, important that uh, work gives me opportunity to be independent. That uh, it gives you feeling that I can buy things uh, for my children, uh, food, uh, clothes, and all the things that they need. Uh, for my mind, it's better to work, don't sit and think about all the bad things in the world. So better to work and do something. Uh, when you are moving, when you are doing something important, something useful. So this is very uh, healthy for the mind. We uh, come here for the program Red Cross. 
I felt uh, supported, really. Uh, but of course, work gives me opportunity to be independent. Yeah, of course, I'm enjoying this place. It's near to the sea, so it's a wonderful place. I'm very happy that I'm really thankful for the God and for the old people that supported us on this way, that uh, we are here, we are safety and uh, we have support. And also this wonderful place, I just can't, cannot imagine how to dream about this place to live. I'm very I'm very happy to be here, to be living here and working here. I'm here with my son, who's 15. It's difficult to survive on the Red Cross program alone because we have to pay for things like the dentist. The program doesn't include all that. That's why we look for work. It's difficult for Ukrainians looking for work. We are hardworking, but the problem is the language. A lot of Ukrainian people here are talented, intelligent, with not just one university qualification, but two or three. In my country, I worked as a senior accountant in a hospital, like the second-in-command after the boss, the director, but here I work as a waitress. It's different, I don't know, but I'm happy that I have work. I'm lucky I found this job. It's relieved a lot of stress. You have some path in your life now, and it's very important to know that you can do something tomorrow. I'm happy that I can pay taxes. For me, that's very important because I try to assimilate. I try to do the best I can for this country, too. As for my future, all Ukrainians want to go back. We have a good life in our country, but we'll see, we'll see. Uh, we will go in from Poland to Spain and we come to our friends. They live in Girona, 20 years. And after we will live in another family uh, in Girona, it was a Spanish family with, with very good people. And after uh, we will come here and it started in program of Red Cross. I have a job, uh, my children go in the school and we um, live in more normal life. I am working in the restaurant, in the hotel. I feel I'm alive. I'm feeling I have a future. I can give uh, uh, more to my children. Our thanks to Anna, Tatiana and Olian. One interesting thing is, obviously, there was a huge amount of refugees that came in the first weeks and the first months. But still, uh, one year on, there are still Ukrainian refugees coming to Catalonia. Lloret Council, I mentioned Lloret earlier, the seaside town on the coast of Brava. They say there are still around 40 Ukrainians coming to the town every month. And in Barcelona, Kelly, there's even more. Yeah, absolutely. There's a huge refugee welcoming centre set up in the Fira de Barcelona Congress Hall. Uh, this is a place where it's kind of like the first stop for many Ukrainian refugees. They'll come here, they'll get the necessary paperwork sorted out, they'll get their NIA numbers. And apparently there's still 50 people coming every single day. Now, just imagine, like, this is already a year on from the war and there's still 50 every single day coming. Like, to me, it's it's, it's staggering numbers. Yeah, I suppose as, as as people see how long the war is going to run, could run, and as well, a lot of people coming to meet, say, family members that have already come and set up 
a, a bit of a life here as well. Exactly. That's exactly it. You see so many stories on ACN and other publications as well, just talking about how families are being reunited after such a long time. I mean, can you imagine? With all the paperwork, there has been some hiccups. It hasn't all been plain sailing. Yes, exactly, exactly. There has been a few bumps, a few issues. One of the biggest things, I suppose, is, is is financial aid that's supposed to go directly to Ukrainian families. A lot of it has not arrived uh, yet. Uh, so the Spanish government last August approved of a new measure to pay families 400 euro monthly with an additional 100 euro for every child that they have. And this money was supposedly transferred from Madrid to the autonomous communities last October. So Catalonia received at that stage 11.7 million euro. And reports have come out literally just this week that even still, up to now, not one Ukrainian family has received this financial aid. Yeah, No surprise maybe that the Spanish Social Security Ministry is saying, well, it would have been quicker if Spain had sent the money directly to the families. But uh, Catalan Equality Secretary has responded saying, well, the delay has been uh, in the delay coming to Catalonia in the first place. So, uh, It's just a really sorry situation, I think, isn't it? Like, I mean, the families that need the money to, to kind of survive aren't getting it and yeah. administrations just blaming one another. Well, there obviously have been issues. I have to say that any of the people that you know we've spoken to have been just extremely grateful at the efforts that people have gone to. Uh, I mean, yes, the administrations, but also just the kind of the local people in whatever town or city that they're in. That's exactly it. I mean, that I think is the biggest kind of headline that we've seen on ACN on all of the reports over the past year. There's been just such a welcome from communities, from neighbours, wanting to help one another. In schools as well, you often see articles about just how well that the kids have integrated, that they've taken to the languages just so quickly. And that's definitely been the main takeaway that, from my perspective, I've seen over the past year about how refugees have come here and they've just been made to feel very welcome by the Catalan society here. As well as the effects in Ukraine and on Ukrainians, Putin's war has also had a chilling effect on any Russian citizen voicing opposition or dissent. We spoke to three Russians who have fled their country and are now living in Catalonia. Andrei Paniushkin and first a couple, Anna Shevchenko and Nikita Kazantsev. When the war started, uh, we've been protesting against the war. The police catched me. They locked me up in kind of jail. So if they catch you three times uh, on the protests uh, in one year, they can lock you in the actual jail up for uh, for three years, I guess. Anka had a visa. Yes. Schengen visa. I had a visa because I wanted to be a volunteer in uh, Ukrainian-Poland uh, border because my activism in Russia become uh, really dangerous. So I decided to go somewhere, just not to be in Russia, because I felt that something bad could happen to me. They can force me to go to war. So uh, we decided to buy a plane ticket from uh, Armenia or Georgia to some South America with uh, transit in Spain. When I've been in Barcelona airport, when I arrived, I tried to escape the airport and some guard asked me what I'm doing here and I was just like, I want asylum, I'm a refugee, Geneva Convention, and uh, they didn't understood what I'm trying to do and they tried to deport me to the country that I've been from 
finally uh, they, here. they understood something. They gave me the papers to go outside of airports to enter actually the Spain. And they gave me an interview to ask for a refugee status in uh, two days. I felt uprising pressure from authorities in uh, Russia, in Krasnodar territory. So I felt that I should live for a while. My neighbors said that uh, police officers gathered uh, information about me and prepared a kind of criminal offense against me. In current Russia, you can be accused in everything. So I decided, because I have a tourist visa from Spain, be a tourist. At the 3rd of December, my neighbors called me. Uh, that was a video call in WhatsApp. And they said, Andrew, your house, well, roof of your house are burning. And that was true footage from my house. And they said, we already called to firefighters, police, in 7.30. And first uh, engine came in uh, 9 p.m. So one and a half hour later, one kilometer for one and a half hour later, electricity was cut at the 4 a.m., 16 hours before fire. I see no reason. Only my uh, public opinion about war, that's only one reason why in two months after I flee Russia, suddenly my house burned down and I have nothing now. That was Andrei Paniushkin. Kelly, you spoke to Andrei? Yes, indeed, I did. Terrible thing, really, that happened to him. Uh, he's actually opened up a crowdfunding campaign because he wants to relocate his family now over, over here to more Western Europe. Uh, he says that his main goal at the moment is just to move his daughter and his wife back here as soon as he can. Well, our thanks to Andre, uh, to Anna and to Nikita, and also to everyone we heard from earlier uh, in Hotel Flamingo, Anna, Tatiana and Olian, and the fashion designer, Ksenia Karpenko. Time now for our Catalan phrase. What's it this week, Killian? This week we've got No tener solta ni volta. No tener solta ni volta to not have... I don't know what. (laughs) (laughs) It um, almost literally makes no sense, as well as it means it makes no sense. (laughs) Um, Solta is, you can kind of vaguely translate it to to loose, and volta is like a lap. So, no tener solta ni volta, you don't have a loose or a lap. And to me, I think it's just the fact that the words rhyme. But it's a very, very typical phrase here, that if you want to say... This makes absolutely no sense. You'd say, no tener solta ni volta. No tener solta ni volta. Well, that's all we've got time for today. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for joining me, Killian. Thank you for having me, Lorcan. We're back again next Saturday with another episode of Filling the Sink. Until then, from me, Lorcan Doherty, and all of us here at Catalan News. Bye for now. Adios.